1: Hey, this is Sarah Edmondson from the HBO documentary, The Vow. And if you want to level up your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good new friend, Travis Chapel.
2: If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell.
0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Sarah Edmondson. Sarah is a talented actress with a radiant smile and natural charm. She has an exceptionally diverse portfolio of interests and dedicates herself with limitless energy and positivity to the worlds of acting and yoga. In 2019, Sarah published Scarred, the true story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life and uh in this tell all memoir she shares her entire story from the moment that she takes her first seminar to her harrowing fight to get out of Nexium collaborate with the FBI help others and heal her full story as a whistleblower is featured in the CBC podcast Uncover Escaping Nexium which has been downloaded over 25 million times and The Vow which is a critically acclaimed HBO documentary series on Nexium. Guys, it's going to be a little bit different of a conversation than we typically have here on the show, but I promise you there's going to be some really awesome things that we're going to be able to take away from that. But first, really, really quickly before we jump in, if you are a six or seven figure entrepreneur and you have always thought about starting a podcast, but you're just not exactly sure where to start or how to get the job done or what it's good for, or if it's a good idea for you, then head on over to travischappell.com slash coaching. Uh, we have a really cool coaching program, some courses and some different materials to help entrepreneurs build profitable podcasts. So you can focus on the things that you're good at, which is running your business. And then we can help you focus on the things that we're good at, which is building profitable podcasts. So travischapelcom slash coaching. There's a quick application there. We'll jump on a call, see if we might be a good fit to work together. Sarah Edmondson, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show today.
1: Thanks for reaching out and thanks for having me.
0: Of course. I As soon as I was finished with The Vow, I knew that I had to get you on the show. <laughs> and uh, my producer and co-host, Eric, uh, actually beat me to the punch because uh, his show is a lot more built around uh, cults and healing from trauma and stuff like that. And so he actually reached out to you. And then that's how you and I got in touch. So first right. off, I uh, just want to say thanks for for taking the time. And I really appreciate you coming on.
1: Of course. It's important to keep talking about this stuff.
0: A hundred percent. And now uh, you guys have, you know, the book Scarred. You have your podcast, A Little Bit Culty, which by the way, get this out of the way right now. If you're listening right now, take whatever podcast app you're listening to this podcast in and search A Little Bit Culty. And whatever podcast app you're listening to, uh, go show Sarah and Nippy, her husband, some love and hit that subscribe button, rate, review, all that good stuff. And uh, check out some of the stuff that they got going on over there. Before we uh, jump into kind of the the cults uh, things that you've obviously been spending the last couple of years talking about, I want to rewind the clock and take it all the way back to like childhood and kind of what brought you to that point in life. Uh, because I find the conversation fascinating around cults. You know a little bit about how I grew up, and those of you listening also know a little bit about how I grew up. And there's a little bit of similarity there. So I want to I want to take it back. Let's say let's say uh, 11, 12-year-old Sarah Edmondson. So, you know, just <laughs> set the scene for us, talk us through, you know, where'd you grow up? What were your parents like? What did they do for a living? All that kind of stuff.
1: Sure. So 11, 12-year-old Sarah was a super nerd. I had big plastic glasses, which are actually kind of cool now if you're a hipster. That's true. Um, yeah, I had braces. I was kind of a wannabe hippie. My parents were, and still are. My mom's a therapist, family therapist. My dad's a counselor. He's also a folk singer and they're both very kind of lefty, hippie. My dad's like a former, like his parents were very aristocratic British and he broke free and became very politically active. And that's been a big part of my upbringing is like marching for peace Mm. in the eighties or like no blood for oil in the nineties. And it's just like, whatever, whatever was happening, I would get involved and needed to make a stand about it. Something that they taught me. And I think that relates to what happens later. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> um, but I also, like, emotionally, I always felt like I didn't fit in. I felt, I mean, I was super dorky. I became a theater nerd at the end of high school and pursued that in university as well. But I'm I'm from the West Coast. So the sort of alternative hippie crunchy thing is definitely part of my background and being, you know, I, I hate to use the word activist because I think that's overused, but Being socially and politically active has always been a big part of my tapestry in the background.
0: I was just going to say, how was school for you then, growing up?
1: School when I was younger was fine. And when you entered sort of the mean girl stage, the girls were pretty mean, and (laughs) I was I was I was bullied a little bit. I just didn't really ever feel like I. I probably most found my people in 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 the theater company. So Mm. like you know, acting in theater and feeling like. This Insular little safe group was probably where I first found that sense of community. And also, I went to um, a Jewish summer camp when I was 12. And that was really good for me in terms of my self esteem and feeling like I, yeah, like found a tribe, which has also mm-hmm. set me up for what happens later, looking for my people. I was very smart. Like, I always got good grades. Parents separated when I was quite young. And so, I had a stepmom and I had two homes. So that's one thing that I've always felt very split between. My parents and yeah. trying to keep everybody happy, which is not only hard but also impossible. <laughs> right. Right. But I'm—I've always been driven and always been sort of nailed with the the belief of like leave the world better, leave the world a better place, hmm. make a difference.
0: Always carried that driven mentality with you into whatever you did.
1: Yes, absolutely. Like when I was fifteen or sixteen, I was in an outdoor education program and we had to sell Rainforest Crunch. It was like a It was like a toffee nut bar or something. It's like the the equivalent of Girl Scout cookies. We'd sell it to make money to raise money for the TV, and I'd be the kind of person who who'd outsell everybody because I was such a. I mean, it's kind of a keener. I was a keener is what you call them in school, and then driven when you're out of school. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just whatever you grabbed, you wanted to be the best at.
1: Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't necessarily like. I I didn't play sports. I wasn't competitive in that way. Mm -hmm. But I was entrepreneurial. From a very young age. I had really? business cards at the age of 12 that said, Sarah Edmondson, something, I've got to look it up. but something like jewelry maker, babysitter, artist. and had my phone number on it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nice. You know, yeah. the, the interesting thing is that's not far away from a lot of businesses that I know of. They can't seem to pick, <laughs> except they don't have an excuse because they're not a 12-year-old. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, it seems like you've learned a, a few things along the way to, to help uh, yes. push things in the right direction. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so, let's fast forward a little bit and talk about early adult life. so sure. like post high school.
1: post high school, I spent a year in Israel and kind of got a shot of adulthood very quickly and mm. sort of a more world worldly experience what was happening in the world outside of Vancouver, sure. which is great. I feel like I grew up very quickly there. And then I decided to spend a I did a, a year in university in Victoria and then in, uh, and eventually finished my theater degree in, in Montreal. And I loved it there. I felt very autonomous. I kind of individuated. But then I went back to Vancouver when my degree was over and I made the mistake of moving back in with my mom, um, which set me up for being like not really out of the nest properly. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like I was out of the nest, back to the nest and was kind of that was just a really bad dynamic, but was also what was going on at the time when I found Nexium, which Mm, is that I, I was like in post-theater school, aspiring actress. had have been doing that for a couple of years, not really getting anywhere, feeling like there was more for me. The thing about acting that's not great for an entrepreneur is that you really don't have control. And I do believe that uh, I have certain entrepreneurial traits. And my mom's always told me that since I was very little. And I believe that about myself. I still do. <laughs>
0: well, it's obvious. It's obviously <laughs> true. Yeah, definitely.
1: Thank you for saying that. Um, but as an actor, it's really hard because you can do the work, you can show up, you can be in good shape, you can... Look great, whatever, but you don't get the part, and it's really hard on the self esteem. When I met Mark Vicente, who's the film director who made What the Bleep, he told me about a, a community, which was really appealing to me, and uh, the concept of making media like he had just done this film, What the Bleep Do We Know, which I loved, and talking about making media that was would be conscious shifting media. So not just entertainment and fluff. And I'd done a lot of like vampire TV shows and the Canadian equivalent of Nickelodeon and things like that, yeah. which paid the bills, but didn't fulfill me. Sure. And so I was like, okay, whatever you're doing, I want to do it. And he's like, yeah, there's this course. It's in New York. And oh, wait, there just happens to be one in Vancouver in like two months. And I'm like, okay. Didn't Google it. Didn't research it. Although Google, I mean, there wasn't much on the web at that time. And not like there is now. <laughs> If you want to know about Nexium, it's everywhere but at yeah. the time it was it was very little and I just jumped in and trusted Mark wanted to work with him wanted to meet these humanitarians that he spoke of and I was I mean I was very skeptical for the first couple of days. I did not sure. like it but I overwrote it because Mark was like wait till day three
0: in, in what context did you meet mark because you obviously oh, had a yes. level of, of trust. With him to yes. to just be like ah you know I don't to really mm-hmm. do any research if you say cool. this is good I'll do it.
1: So I met Mark at a film festival. My boyfriend at the time uh, as a filmmaker. Still is a filmmaker. We're still friends, and I was his guest at this film festival. And Mark Vicente was the judge of all the films. So he was. I already had him in a position of mad like mad respect of what he had achieved, and he was the judge. And then we be, we all became friends at this film festival, and and uh, yeah, it was a very natural transition to. And I was very open. Like I went on that film. to, I think I say this in the vow that I was looking for purpose. Mm. I was like, I wanted more than what I was doing.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it kind so of very, fell into my lap. Yeah. Like kind yeah. of putting feelers out there Yeah. and yeah. Saying what you wanted to, to, to accomplish. So you meet Mark. Mark is basically like, Hey, you got to come check this thing out. It's going to be worth your time. You go there first two days skeptical. Why?
1: Just a lot of weird things we talk about the leader as the vanguard we have to wear sashes we take our shoes off which is not weird but in a in a you know holiday inn training room a little bit weird um the facilitators power suits were tacky the <laughs> eyebrows of the main facilitator nancy salzman president of the company tripped me out just a lot of things that i was like ugh like where am i i'm in a yeah. holiday inn in the suburbs what where am i but i trusted mark and i, I listen please know, I don't blame Mark. Like Mark and I are friends and yeah, he, sure, he sure. thought it was good too. Right. And we were all hoodwinked, but anyway, I was, and also my parents are therapists. I've done a lot of personal development and I'd, I'd read certain books and I thought I was pretty self-aware. So I very much for the first couple of days was like, what are you going to teach me? Yeah, you know? Right. And, 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 but also all the red flags that I had, I overrode because they had very brilliantly said, you're going to feel uncomfortable and you're here to learn no pain, no gain. You know, it, you're, we're just talking about these things, it's just a piece of fabric around your neck. If you don't like that, there may be some issues there, maybe around authority and we'll look at that. So if you leave, it's mm-hmm. you're, you're set up from the beginning. If you if you leave, you're basically weak because you can't even have a conversation.
0: Right, right. Just immediately yeah. getting you to be compliant. Yes. Immediately, yeah. like even those little things, like they seem like little things, but there's this psychological principle- uh, called the foot foot in the door technique, which basically says that if you can get somebody to do if you can get some somebody to do something small for you now, they're more likely to do something bigger for you later on. Yes. And that seems to be something that's congruent across a lot of those things is asking okay. for these small things because, hey, it's not a big deal. Just, yeah. just wear it around your neck. It's not a big deal. Yeah, you know not a mean? big like, deal. Why do you think it's such a big deal? That clearly shows that there's something inside of you that's wrong, not anything yeah. that we're doing incorrectly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and every st- everything, every point that I would have had, like, why are we calling him a vanguard? I've never met him. Why am I bowing to him? I've never met him. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, cre- he created this. We call a judge your honor. We call a doctor a doctor. This is a title to honor what he's built. Do you not think what he's built is... Amazing. Well, I don't. I haven't seen it yet. Like, let's weight? Yeah. wait. Right. But it, it's a really really good point. Actually, Keith taught us that he called it line, uh, line bending, and he would talk about how um, if you want if you want to get somebody to do something, like if I want you to babysit my kid, you know, I, for the weekend, that's a big ask. But if you come over and just help me out for a couple hours, I'm like, I'm running late. Can you just? And then oh, I got into it. Can you stay the night? Like, and the next thing you know, you're doing way more than you than you said you would. Right? Mm. That happens a lot. It happens all the time, and it's. Incredibly unethical because you're not actually stating what the actual intent is.
0: Right. So you end up going through the the five day, and then there's another training on top of that that you have to go into. Yes. Yeah. So can you walk yes. me through a little bit of like the back end structure, what that looked like for yeah. you, and at what point did you go like, I'm in. Let's do this.
1: Okay. So Mark was right. By day three, I was hooked, and so they had a number. They had, their classes were two to two and a half hour two to two and a half hour modules that built on each other. Okay. And what they were saying that they were doing is giving, giving us a new framework for your belief system and cleaning up the inconsistencies so that you could operate more effectively in your life. And looking at any areas of what was called a disintegration, anything that like, okay, I say, I want to go to the gym, but you don't, this is common in self-help. Like there's, there's a disconnect there, right? There's mm-hmm. some, there's something you're not motivated with. And there's a lot of NLP and a lot of tools that were, helpful but it wasn't to the end of day 3 when i had a huge shift about myself and my my self esteem and my concept my self concept and i felt like very clear about what i needed to do next and day 4 and 5 was more of that and by the end it was like this is amazing i want everyone i know to take this mm-hmm. so i went from being very skeptical skeptical and closed to very open and sort of on fire and now i understand from doing cult research is called like i was given a peak experience that sort of ah oh, amazing
0: yeah an emotional state of yes. like a massive dopamine hit.
1: Yes. Or also, yeah, exactly. If you can imagine five days in a row of 10 to 12 to 14 hour days therapy, yeah, sure. all the shit you, All sorry, and I know you don't cuss much, all the stuff, no, okay, Eric, you can edit that out later. All the <laughs> stuff that you would work through in such a short period of time is quite phenomenal, right? So any, I mean, I did some therapy just before I came here. I felt, I felt great. Mm-hmm. And it was only an hour. So once you work through so many, so many things, and I think the five day was designed to, to really hook people that way, but it also provided, um, a, like a, you know, the shine a light on, but this is the thing that you need to work on to really evolve. And that's in the next 11 days, which is one of the things that like, I'm, I'm pretty vocal about it's just to be very mindful of, cause I'm sure a lot of your listeners, you know, take workshops and it's not, it's not bad to say, Hey, this is a, a program and it's going to, and there's more, you know, yeah, that in right. and of itself isn't bad. The problem is that they were intentionally creating a problem within myself to make me feel like I was broken in a way. And
0: that they were the only ones that could offer you the solution to that problem.
1: Yes, that's that's the unethical thing. There's only one way to do it, and that was with this program. And for the low, low cost of only
0: $6,000.
1: And also, my boyfriend at the time had already committed to that. So I was like, well, he's doing it. I better do it. And... I, I mean, I did. I was chasing the dragon. I wanted more. I wanted more sure. of the good feeling and I wanted to go to Albany because this training happened to be in Vancouver. I wanted to meet the people and that was it. But I, so just a quick, quick thing. I didn't say I wanted to build a center and, and bring it to Vancouver. Not quite yet. And that happened a little bit later.
0: Okay. But yeah. pretty much after the five day, you were, you were all in.
1: I was all in. Well, I mean, I was all in in terms of like, I thought it was a great program. I, I wasn't necessarily...
0: Ready to push it or sell it or well
1: the, yeah i selling it was they didn't even present that they what they said is if you shared it with three people, you could get your money back, so I thought that would be good because I was. Pretty broke at the time, and I could think of three people right away, and then and then I just keep kept sharing it with people, and then somebody said to me, "You could be a you've sold, you've told enough people that you could be a salesperson and earn twenty percent."
0: So was it a, a multi-level marketing organization? Like like did they were they actively trying to bring in like did you make money through through levels of commissions?
1: So we were told that it wasn't an MLM. But of course, that's I've said yes, yeah. <laughs> every and actually, our last episode of a little bit culty, our second to last was about MLMs and making the comparisons from between cults and MLMs, and mm-hmm. it's really the same thing, in my opinion, separate, separate story. But yeah, it was an MLM. You t- to get to from a white sa- sash where you started as a student to yellow as a coach, you have to bring in two people.
0: It's not on individual merit; it's on you recruiting people for.
1: Yes. Well, yeah. there was a, every stripe. And every, you get stripes on your colors, and then you go out to the next level. Mm. A different coach, and senior senior coach was Proctor. Every level required n- enrollments. So yes, you had to enroll, aka mm. recruit. Enrollment is akin to building humanity, though, Travis. Don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. You had to build humanity with en- enrolling. It's not recruiting.
0: We're not selling that. supplements here.
1: No, we're, no. We're this is we're building. We're changing yeah. the world, and you and your and so that was one thing. But there was also your personal issues to evolve certain things that were of course decided by the upper ranks
0: yeah that's what i was gonna say because wasn't there just like some discretionary decisions that a lot of people disagreed with in terms of like who could all of a sudden be worthy of a promotion when there wasn't like because that you know certain number of enrollments like i can get on board with it's like okay cool like I can hit mm. a number and then mm. I get a promotion type of yes. thing. But then it's like, but you also have to do this other thing that's you can't put your finger on. Somebody yes. just has to go, yeah, you did it.
1: Yeah. Well, I talked about that a lot in my book because that was infuriating for me. And I almost quit so many times. And of course, I wish I had, but then I would have been weak and I would never mm. ever find success. So that was actually one of the things that woke me up as well. Because I, one thing I liked about the straight path in the beginning is that it was measurable, unlike acting. Or if you did X, Y, and Z, recruited X, Y, and Z. So personal growth, recruitment, and then also your ability to teach the tech. I say tech in air quotes for your listeners. Technology, if there's a red flag, number one, if anyone says they have a technology in the personal development program, that's probably not true. Like this microphone is a technology.
0: Right.
1: (laughs) Okay, so let's just separate that.
0: Words on a page is not technology.
1: No, it's not technology. So their tech, being able to teach it and present in front of the room, you had to be someone had to watch you and make sure that you could do those things. So those three things were the criteria and the most measurable, of course, is your recruitment ability. Mm. The most immeasurable is your personal development and how happy you are in achieving your goals and working through your quote issues. So those things definitely <laughs> got more lax. And was one of the things that caused me to, to question things towards the end is because some key people got recruited, got promoted who hadn't earned it mm-hmm. in any of those categories. And I was like, well, "What the f is this for? If it's not
0: yeah. like I've been working on this yeah. for years." And yeah, this years. Person just came in and gets a sash, just because yeah. they were a bigger name actress than I was. Basically, is what happened.
1: I mean, that didn't happen specifically to me in terms of being a name actress, but definitely people got stuff that it was not. It was not. It was you know the, it wasn't, our own it internal merit based. It, it wasn't was merit based. Favor based. Yeah. Yes. Or and also people were a lot of people were promoted as we were leaving to get them to stay.
0: That right? makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Kept yeah. them
1: loyal. Like they were like on our way out. Right. Yeah. They're, they're on our way out with us. And they're like, we're going to promote you to Proctor, which is when you start getting paid. Mm. So most most people in the company, by the way, in the MLM scheme of it all, the reason why it was scheme is because they would say you get, once you get to Proctor, so Orange Sash is when you get paid 10% of whatever you bring in. Most people never get to that level.
0: Yeah. So they just recruit for free for yeah. two or three years.
1: Oh, but it's not for free. It's an internship. It's an internship where you're learning how to coach. So it's not for free. <laughs>
0: uh, well, <I'm> so, sold. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. I mean, that's Nancy would come in and give us crap all the time. Cause she'd say, don't you guys understand what you're getting? You're getting, to, you're learning how to coach and, and you're getting it for free. And but here we are putting in 14 hour days of like putting up the tissue boxes and plugging in the iPad. You've been to seminars. Yeah, You know, there's, a, it takes a lot of work to run those things. We ran those for free.
0: Let me ask you about that then, yeah. because, so when I watched the first episode of The Vow, my initial thoughts were like, I would jump in this. Yeah, like, You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it, 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 the initial stuff doesn't sound crazy. Like, so I'm in the personal development and self-help space, you know, yes. like I, I run live events. Like I, yeah. I, we're, we're doing a Costa Rica mastermind retreat in, mm-hmm. in May, you know, like we're, mm-hmm. We're we're always doing stuff like that, but you know, there's obviously (laughs) huge differences in 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 what we do compared to to what Nexium was. But my point is in saying, like, a lot of people, I think, like, throw the baby out with the bathwater, and they look at that and they go, like, well, anybody who teaches anything similar to this, they're cult leaders, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa! I mean, that like a lot of the stuff that I was hearing in that first episode, I'm sure that HBO did this on purpose, but. Um, a lot of the things that I was hearing, I was like, I, I can get on board with that. Like, that's a really great mindset shift to have. Like, that's a really great mentality to take into the world. Like, you should be focusing on self-improvement. You should be doing, like, t- like trying to do hard things. Like, you should be willing to invest money into, into yes. yourself. Like, all of those things are good things. Where do you think they started crossing the line?
1: I think the main line cross actually happened at the beginning, but we just couldn't see it because it was a classic bait and switch. You're familiar with that term, right? Mm-hmm. Bait and mm-hmm. switch, right? So- if he had said, I have a harem of women, 12 to 20 women at a time that I'm having sex with, and I would like you to take this personal development program so that you start using the tools and then you'll be part of my harem or not, but you can decide when, once you um, meet me or whatever. Like yeah. There was no transparency about who he was. In fact, they propped up a myth about him and I was told that he was celibate, right? I was told he was a celibate renunciate. He didn't take any money from his trainings, didn't need it, had no attachments. So, not only was he not, not attached, he was so attached, he needed women at his beck and call to fulfill his every need as a classic sex addicted, sociopathic, narcissistic douchebag, my opinion. So, you know, you're I think a
0: lot of people that can corroborate that yes, opinion, so.
1: including the FBI. Yeah, yeah. So, there's that. But, you know, you, unfortunately, just to bounce out of that idea for a second. Because of my experience, unfortunately, I probably won't take a mastermind or anything like that for a while until all that's cleared up. But I know yeah. that there's lots of great groups out there that aren't trying to screw with people, mm-hmm. right? But now I know what the red flags are and what to look for. And part of why I'm so vocal about this is I want to educate people, not take programs like you or yours, but to be aware of the the con men out there that are running programs that might look like yours
2: exactly. and have an ulterior
1: yeah. motive, right? There's an ulterior motive. We're offering one thing, but it's actually something else. Just a quick, quick tangent on on a little bit culty. We spoke to somebody who, a a white woman who joined a a white pride group, which ended up being a white supremacy group. And it was like, here's here's a community of where you can feel like, okay, to be white because you feel oppressed. I don't even know if you want to keep this in because it's so... Sensitive, but I just to let you know, like that these things don't present, like yeah, we're neo Nazis and we're gonna, you know, make (laughs) swastika. You know, they don't they don't say what it is at the front, right? And that's the problem.
0: Yeah, because they know they would scare everybody off if they told them what they actually are.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I've been I've been pretty loud about that soundbite. Like, put it on your website. You're polyamorous. You know, you use it's it's basically unlicensed sex coaching is what he was doing. Yeah. Sex therapists uh, exist out there, but he's not licensed, and he. Pretended to be a guru so that he could get a fresh supply of women and power, essentially. So there was a there's a lie from the beginning. There's that deceit. But in terms of crossing the line, (laughs) where did they cross the line? It's very slow in terms of what I perceived. It's very slow steps of okay, well, first you're gonna have a coach after your first five that you check in with every day to have accountability. Mm -hmm. That sounds good, right? To have an accountability coach, I'd love that. In fact, I'm doing it right now with a girlfriend. We're doing a keto cleanse together. Mm -hmm. So having somebody to check in with, awesome. Now if you go down the line 12 years later, that checking in process became more and more and more extreme to the point where someone would send you a text any time of day or night and you had to respond within a minute, otherwise you'd be punished.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but the but the thing is if you're if you've been programmed to take those steps for six, seven, eight years.
1: Twelve years. Then like the little <laughs> bit
0: extra doesn't seem again, it's not that big of a deal. Right? Yeah. It's exactly. the sash thing. It's the it's the little the little micro commitments that you made along the way and then if you don't continue along those things it makes you feel like you're not consistent with the things that you believe which would yes. be what what did you call that uh if you're out of line oh out, the,
1: not an in integrity disintegration
0: yes, yes yes like a disintegration right so because that's yeah. ultimately what that is and that's again another psychological principle that people want to act in consistency with the way that they believe things yes. to to be, right? So yeah. getting you to to act a certain way for a certain period of time and adopt these big belief systems whenever there's something like that just pushes the boundary a little bit more. Again, like you start getting into your own head and thinking like, well, am, am I really this worried about like sending a text back? Like that's not that big of a deal, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like everything just starts you're the one that continues to convince yourself that it's all normal and that it's yes. all okay and that nothing's awry about this.
1: Right, we um, gaslight ourselves is what I've learned.
0: Yeah, sure. So mm-hmm. so I would love to hear your perspective on, and I'm sure this is basically what your entire mission is now, which is mm-hmm. helping people see the red flags earlier or at least have the ability to ask questions without condemnation of the question itself. And that that to me is where is where I take issue with a lot of, anytime there's unchecked authority.
1: Yes. Right, that's the first red flag.
0: Yeah, where, where there, the, authority, the authority is completely blindly trusted and they are the ultimate authority, even if they go against what the law says or what the government says or what, you know, uh, other authority in your life might say, like they are the ultimate authority and no one can question them without being condemned, like not even like a, Oh, hey, let's have a conversation about that. That's an interesting question. Let's go grab some coffee and chat about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's more of a like, how dare you question the all the omnipotent, mm-hmm. you know, Keith Ranieri or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yes. and, and that's and that's where I start seeing so many correlations to the way that I, the way that I grew up because that sure. was essentially the same thing. Where there was just there was authority figures, and if you question them and ask any questions about any of these things or or show any signs of disbelief, it's a sign that you're in the wrong. not that there could be something wrong with the belief system. Yes. So where do you think people can do maybe a little bit better job of just being willing to ask themselves those questions?
1: Yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, I can give you a little checklist for your listeners, but all the cult specialists and experts have their own slightly different version of this. But if you, I think if you educate yourself on what those things are, and you're right, this is my mission now. And with a little bit culty, we're not going around saying, well, that's a cult, that's a cult. We're saying... Here are the things that groups can do that are sure. destructive and are abu- where they abuse power. There might be a group that's totally into, and there is my little pony, right? There is a group that somebody that they're obsessed with my little pony. They're called the bronies. And, you know, I, but I don't think, and this, i say it's culty because it's culty because it's insular and it's, it's them. And it's, there's a little bit of us and them like brony, sure. not brony are they doing anything to hurt people? I'm pretty sure not, right? <laughs> yeah, not
0: so that, that aware of,
1: yeah. not that I know of. So that's like what maybe like a healthy obsession
0: calls. Sure. And, <laughs> and, and sometimes stuff like that's needed for people, like what we're talking yeah. about in terms of like finding community and finding your yes. people, like especially for something like that, that's a super niche that like, not yeah. a lot of people are gonna share that interest with you. So no. like and there's I, these common interest groups that get together, but that's the thing is that there's not one person that makes all of the rules and sets the pace for everybody in the group. If you question that person, then you're wrong.
1: You're in that trouble. I actually played Rainbow Dash's mother in an episode of My Little Pony. And I got invited to a convention and they met this group. And I was felt very bad because I had ju- been judgy on the outside. Mm. And then when yeah. I was in it, I was like, this is lovely. Community is really important. And I get it. Yeah. But you're right. There's nobody at the top calling the shots. And here's the thing that you just said when you question the omnipotent Keith Rainier it's not like he's saying, how dare you? It, it's it's more tacit. And this is why Keith got away with what he did for so many years. It would be more like, why do you feel the need to ask that right now? What's going on for you? You're a leader in this group. What does it mean that you're questioning Keith in front of all of this, in front of your peers? Mm. How do you think that? What do you think the effect is you see, you know what, you seem really angry right now. I think you need to go work on that emotion with your coach before you come back and talk to me. <sighs> so it's, it's subtler. It's, it's yeah. not so like you're bad and wrong for questioning. It's a little more tacit. So, yeah. but yeah, that, that like is the number one thing I'd look for right away. And probably number two is just like, just trusting your gut because you're going to see things that are your gut saying eh, 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 like abort mission.
0: <laughs> yeah. And
1: right. normally we do override it. And partly there's also the sunken cost fallacy. You don't want to lose your money.
0: Yeah, sure. Sure. Right? And and you don't want to, you don't want to admit that you were scammed. Yeah. You know, and like especially t- if you, if you invest a large chunk of money into something like that, it's like, you know, especially if people at the beginning were like, Hey, don't do that. And you did it anyway. Yes. You don't want to come back in three weeks and be like, yeah, you were right. I lost five grand. <laughs> you know I, I, I totally mean? had
1: so, that. I yeah. absolutely had that. People around me being like, don't do it. It's a lot of money. And then I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to do this and bring it to Vancouver. I was stubborn. I was absolutely stubborn.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I I think that uh, the stubbornness kind of worked in your favor at the end, though, right?
1: Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes, they missed or the wrong stubborn say They
0: picked picked the fight that they shouldn't have picked. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com/travis. Just go to Indeed.com/travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com/travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire. You need, indeed. So, so uh, talk to me then <laughs> about now that everything's kind of dust is settling and uh, he was, you know, spoiler alert, he was sentenced recently. What positives now do you take away from the total experience?
1: That's a great question. I I mean, part of my healing has been going through slowly the curriculum, my belief system and figuring out what does Sarah believe? and. If I learned it in Nexium, who created that concept originally? So that I can feel good about using a particular tool without having to think in the back of my mind, thank you, Vanguard, which is what we were trained to do after every class. Which is a lot of what a lot of people did do who left Nexium. They threw the baby out with the bathwater. For me, I Spent 12 years there. I'm not gonna. Yeah. I, I understand that a lot of the structures and everything were poisoned because he is a toxic, abusive person. I take with me some of the tools for. Actually, I felt really good about myself when I was listening to Jack Canfield's interview with you about his lifestyle in terms of consistency. Consistency around certain habits, and I, I feel like I did get that, and I maintain those things, which feels really good. And and certain things around time management and in regards to your podcast in terms of networking, like it's why I, why I thrived in NXIVM. Cause I do have a huge network and I am, I've always been a social butterfly and I've always been very passionate about whatever it is I'm into, whether it's right now I'm doing keto also a little bit culty, um, you know, green juice, celery juice, yoga. Like I'll just tell people collagen, like whatever you want to, like I'm into all that stuff. And for me it was very natural to be like oh you're struggling with x y and z like what if you could spend 2100 and get rid of that thing in 5 days wasn't that wouldn't that be worth it you know right. that was easy for me and and I was very I believed it yeah. to the, to my core so I was a good recruiter unfortunately I used a lot of my network for this
2: yeah right <laughs> and so
1: when when I got out I mean a lot of my friendships were really some were ruined some of them were stronger Sure. I, think the, I think the real friendships endured, but it was also hard when I was, you know, wanting to promote my book to like use the network for that. I didn't feel right. Like sales as a concept was like, ugh, still is still hard for me to ask people to like, hey, can you subscribe to my podcast? You know, um, it, it's funny you
0: say that because I feel the same way when whenever you change a core belief that you were mm-hmm. on so on board for for so mm-hmm. long, it's hard to adopt any other beliefs for a while mm-hmm. because it's just like. I was so dead wrong about that. And I told everybody and I believed it to my core and it influenced every decision I made on a daily basis for so long that like, who am I to tell somebody else that what they believe is right or wrong? Yes. Because I figured out what I believed was completely wrong. So, you know, it's it's like a weird, it's weird to like kind of get back into, you know, some version of of normalcy after you've changed it like 180 change of a of a worldview that you adopted for so long.
1: Exactly. It's a hard and also to reconcile that we were delusional also. Mm. You know, that yeah. we were out there vouching for somebody who was not only like the opposite of what we thought, but so evil and so destructive and, yeah. and just such a liar. And here we are pitching the opposite. That's was really hard on for both in and I and I think a lot of people who got out of Nexium.
0: Yeah. Is there anybody that mm-hmm. is still in Nexium that you that you know of? Like like yes. some people like Allison and and a couple other people that were like really hardcore till the end?
1: I'm pretty sure that Allison's woken up. That's the rumor that most okay. of the people that were convicted, uh, they haven't been sentenced yet. But there's a group of people who are still very much loyal and think that all of this started because of my false narrative and, you know, my desire for a book deal, essentially. So it's, that's been really hard, but it's also in some ways, I just want everyone to be happy. Like I want people to move on. I don't, if that's what they need to do to be happy to, to stick and believe in Keith, that all the power to them, but it's really hard because all the data is out there. All the information's yeah, out there, right. and they they can't see it. They think it's all a lie. It's all a conspiracy, and hopefully they'll wake up one day. And if not, that's their prerogative, you know.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, all you can do is provide the information, and people yes. make decisions for themselves. Yes. Uh, there was one thing that you just brought up, and I wanted to make sure I, I touched on of in sure. terms of, of what what I view as a red flag, and I'd be curious to hear what your opinion is on this. So, someone like someone like Keith, and you kind of uh, alluded to this earlier and th- some of the people that i grew up listening to and some of the the leaders who i've known that are you know that i thought were great people who afterwards i found out to be you know narcissistic turds for lack of <laughs> a better term <laughs> i've found that they tend to take credit for like all of their material as yes. if they just sat down and wrote it all out one day like they yeah. didn't read 200 books to learn all of that you know what i mean like they yes. like they they never seem to collaborate with other leaders they never seem to Adopt other people's perspectives, or recommend listening to this other person that's mm-hmm. a similar thought leader or expert yeah. in this other area. They're they're constantly attributing other people's stuff to themselves. I felt like that was something that that uh, that I've seen you know play itself over uh, many many times, and mm-hmm. I'm like. It, I feel like even if I say something that I know I didn't come up with, but I don't remember who it was, I'll just say that, you know, yeah, like I, I someone else said this, this I, don't, I don't remember where I picked it up, yeah. but you know, it was stuck with me forever. And, this, and then I'll say it, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, everybody picks up knowledge and I'm not expecting you to remember and give credit and source every single thing that you say, because it's impossible, but it seems like all those people, they want you to think that they are the source for all wisdom and knowledge that you don't have.
1: Yes hundred percent. And that's a huge red flag. And and within with that goes the package of this is the only way Mm. like this is the best tool, the only way. And it's, it's all from, all from one person. It's not true. It's these are a lot of the things we learned were just truths about life that are found in every modality, every positive religion from, you know, Buddhism to anything, you name it. Sure. Yeah. But I, I think that reminded also reminded me of another red flag, which was, if there is scandal and controversy in the company or people have laughed and they've had there's allegations of any kind, I would go speak to those people and find out what they're saying. And if, if you ask the leadership and the leadership says anything like, oh, they're crazy or oh, they're just a woman scorned or, you know, or tells you not to read any of the articles that's a major red flag.
0: Yeah. You should they, be
1: able to, oh yeah. <laughs> They're hiding something. to
0: discrediting and yes. shaming and shit talking basically. Yes. Instead of actual information. Yeah. Yeah. Which was obviously happening to you once you yes. left.
1: Yeah. Right. I've been, and then here's the thing I could see, I saw it so clearly because I'd been in long enough for a group of people to leave and that's what happened to them. And then like, okay, here it comes. They're going to say, I mean, I heard so many things, <laughs> but I going to tell you something funny. i like, you'll appreciate this. I heard that I left because I didn't get a spot on the executive board, which is, by the way, even more unpaid work. I never want, I've never wanted to be on the executive board, way too much commitment. I didn't get the spot. And so I was having a tantrum and I made up everything just to like get back at them. That was one thing. One thing we heard was, is that I agreed to everything, but then I was afraid that Nippy would be upset. So I pretended that I didn't know what I was getting into is just so I could keep the marriage. Also, I mean, all sorts of things. It's 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 really like I keep saying, hoping that they'll hear this. Like, even if I made it all up, my story isn't nothing compared to some of the other women. Like, exactly. discrediting me does nothing. Exactly. Right. Like, and like, okay, guess what? He's in prison, and you lost. Yeah. And, like you're
0: like you're gonna have to do a ton of negative press if you want to yes. get every single person who's come out of this saying bad things about it. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, yeah. If that's the general narrative, then there's probably some truth to it. It's not just <laughs> yes. like one person that somehow found all this stuff out. This is like, this is several people at this point. Yes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> actually decades, decades of allegations, yeah. which is also really hard for us because all these allegations have been there for so long and we'd always dismissed it as a smear campaign because that's sure. what we were taught. And then to all of a sudden recognize all these articles were true. All these people who said I was in a cult were right. Oh, it's just hard.
0: Yeah. So. Right
1: it's a lot to reconcile.
0: (laughs) Well, you are doing a great job of reconciling it now, leaving all of that stuff behind you. Um, We only have a few minutes left here, but I want to talk to you about the decision to leave. What was the thing that finally pushed you over the edge and and then how has it been being out of it? Sure.
1: It was very accumulative. The last couple of years of of just weird things that were happening that I couldn't wrap my head around. And like I said, the unethical promotions, not getting paid for things because I was being told I was entitled. Then of course, joining DOS and thinking it was a women's group and then being told that to give collateral every month for the rest of my life, including the deed to my home, the branding itself, I know, right? Like, isn't that insane? Branding itself, the night of it didn't wake me up because I was still operating on the premise that it was a women's group and this is symbol for the elements. But when I figured out weeks later that it was his initials on my body is when I like really snapped to the reality of the whole picture you know, all the different things, like you said, getting my foot in the door. Oh, it's just a little tattoo. Okay. No, it's not a little tattoo. It's a big, ugly scar. And it's Keith Allen Ranieri on my body. Like mm. that really messed me up and recognizing through conversations with other people who were leaving how much, cause he, he really had a siloed in different groups. We didn't have all the information. And so when we all compared information, we realized really what he was doing on a big picture. It was, you know, first we just have to get out. And then we realized we had to save everybody and like free the slaves because he was just going to like, who knows what he was going to demand of people next. And then the decision to go public was almost kind of forced upon us because they were coming after us. Claire tried to get me arrested. Who did? We just had Claire Bronfman. She was sort of like his CEO. Oh, yeah, yeah. And one of the heiresses, his money he was bankrolling. Right. Yeah. So she came to Vancouver, tried to get me arrested, and we just had to throw throw a big punch, you know, we did just like expose it all on a massive yeah. level so that it would just be defunct and they couldn't hurt any more women and collect any more photographs and more blackmail and things like that. We just and also recognizing how many people had already been recruited that I had to free before it got too serious.
0: Yeah, right. And that was through that New York Times. Article that you you guys were working to get right.
1: New York Times was the first big press, and then and then the FBI got involved, and he got arrested very soon after. And then yeah. Well, that was, sorry, what was the second part of your question? How's life now?
0: Yeah. So yes, yeah. after after you've been gone now, um, you obviously have a lot, of, a lot of different things that are coming out of this now, the book, uh, the podcast, yes. and just trying to be an advocate for people that are out there who might be in a similar type of a situation yes. and giving them the information that maybe would have helped you, you know, realize it a little bit sooner than you did, right? 100%.
1: I mean, all of those things you just mentioned first... The CBC podcast, and then a year later, the book, and then a year later, the vow. There was like a year in between each launch, mm-hmm. so I had time to kind of recover. And every medium seemed to reach a different group of people, which yeah. is amazing. Well, it's a lot of people in the world. <laughs> I'm, I feel like I'm close to being done, but with our podcast, it's not just about Nexium, it's about abuses of power in general, and yeah. you know how to help educate people. If I, this is a different era that we're in now, partly thanks to technology, and also. Mm. Partly COVID.
2: <laughs> sure. Yeah.
1: People are talking about these things, and it's it's the culty phenomenon is on is is up, but also the awareness is up. It's the golden age of cults. I heard Matt, Matthew Remsky say from the Conspirituality Podcast. Mm. And in terms of education, people want to understand it. I feel like if this had happened now, when I was twenty seven, now I would see the red flags on day one and be like, "You no kind of I see. I can see it."
2: Yeah. Right. And I
1: see it so clearly and clearly in other groups, but it feels really good to know that because of the vow and book and podcast and everything, people are, are not going as far as I did because exactly. they, they're, they're, they see it and they're getting it,
0: out. It's so important to hear stories like yours too, because it lets people know that they are also also vulnerable to potentially, you know, being in these types of, of things without really knowing it. Because I, like, I feel like a lot of people will look at stories like yours or other or other cults that existed and, and just be like, how could you possibly fall for this? This is a load of crap. And I would have noticed mm-hmm. it from the very beginning and blah, blah, blah. And they give mm-hmm. themselves all this credit externally yes. for being this amazing person. When in reality, you know, if they were in the same situation with the same things that, that uh, you were seeing, they probably would have been on board for it and then also if they're just somebody that's closed off to hearing anything because they're so skeptical then that that's also not a way to live life. You know what I mean? Like you yes. have to you have to go about things with a healthy skepticism yes. but with a positive outlook on potential opportunity or else you're going to miss out on everything that could potentially come your way because you're so skeptical that you're just going to mm-hmm. be like no, no, no to everything that <laughs> like every door that opens and then like that's not a way to live life either, you know? Like yeah. there has to be there has to be a happy medium. There has to be a balance. And so I, I love your guys' story because, you know, like like we've been talking about, like you're clearly a very uh highly intelligent and driven person. This wasn't something that was just like a launch that was deployed on weak-minded people who, you know, were destitute and had nowhere else to go. Like this is stuff that exists and that it happens to, to normal people every single day. And even people who are. Who are driven and more intelligent? Like everybody has vulnerabilities that they can maybe potentially, you know, shore up a little bit against sure. against future potential issues.
1: Hundred percent. And actually, some of the people that are still I call lovingly the loyalists are some of the smartest people I know. One mm-hmm. of them has a double Ivy League degree, and yeah. and really kind, good-hearted people who are just doubling down on on that they didn't make a mistake. And yeah. that's that's the real thing. That's the real hard pill to get to get. I'll get over on the other side is to go oh, crap. I made a mistake, and listen, we all make mistakes. I made a big mistake, but I learned and I learned this from Mike Rinder, who left Scientology. That you know, part of this pro- healing process for me is to go, yeah, this is the mistake that I made. Can't change it, but I can learn from it and pass it forward and shine light on these things, so you don't have to make the same mistake. And you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Exactly, exactly save
1: yourself some money you know
0: <laughs> yeah save yourself some money and some years of heartache that's
1: yes sure. yeah but in some ways i wouldn't change it like i
0: of course w- yeah
1: going back to your podcast topic network i mean how would i even how would i even meet you if i if i hadn't gone through this like this is the thing i love about it the most is having yeah. conversations with with people and tapping into this whole new podcast network of people who want to just shine light it's great it's a beautiful thing
0: yeah, and, and a lot of people don't realize. I mean, this is like what, 2019, 2020, that a lot of the stuff went down, right? This is like very recent.
1: Yeah, well, I left in 2017. He was arrested in 2018, went to, was, uh, the trial was in 2019. And and then I don't know what the last year has been. Oh, yeah, the vow came out in 2020.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. and, then, and then they left a pretty big cliffhanger at the end of the vow. Yes. So can you tell us anything about that?
1: I mean, all I know is what you know, which is that okay. they interviewed Nancy and it'll, that'll be in, in season two of The Vow. I'm dying to hear that. I'm also dying to talk to her about other people that I never had closure with and haven't yeah. spoken to since I left. It, and
0: is, she, it, is she in? Uh, in no, she's, not,
1: she, she, she's, yeah, she's trouble with a lot. She's wearing an ankle monitor and she's being, she's uh, basically on house arrest okay. and, and she will be sentenced soon. And they may just give her time served. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, we are definitely in your corner. If you need anything from uh, from us um, in this world at all, you know exactly who to reach out to. And uh, we're totally on board to continue to help you to promote this. So again, if you're listening to this episode right now and you liked a little bit of what we were talking about, I know it was a little bit different of an episode uh, that we usually talk about here, but I know there's a lot of really helpful things um, the, uh, that we're able to talk about um, in this episode. So make sure you go over to whatever podcast player you're listening to right now, search a little bit culty and uh, give them give them a subscription, write a review, write, give them a rating, reach out to them, tell them they're doing amazing work and uh, just... Be an encouraging, encouraging person. And uh, Sarah, man, I I just really appreciate you coming on the show, taking the time uh, to chat for a little bit. I do want to move into the final segment, just what we call the random round, just quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Okay. Mm -hmm. What profession other than your own, do you think that it would just be fun to attempt?
1: I think that I would be a really good luxury hotel reviewer that got to travel around the world if it wasn't COVID would be awesome. Yes, I'd like that.
0: <laughs> if you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be?
1: I know it's cliche, but cliche comes from truth. My grandmother, who I never got to meet, who I'm named after, mm. I feel like she has lots to tell me. I'm going to throw Gandhi in there, just, just mm. to wow. even out the, the different, um, something personal, something uh, somebody of great social meaning. Third, oh gosh, I'm torn between MLK or such a cliche. I'm sorry, but I'd love to chat with Oprah. I just would like to get her opinion about all this stuff. Yeah. That'd, Putting be, great. It out there. Yeah.
0: that'd be awesome. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos?
1: Well, now podcasts, because I'm trying to learn how yes. it's all done. Um, a lot of Netflix, we're watching Yellowstone right now. And I love books. I have a huge stack, never get to them, but I do a lot of audiobooks while I'm walking.
0: Give us a glimpse of your morning routine.
1: A w- little different now with kids, but right now. I hear you on that one. Yes, but <laughs> I'm not even gonna tell you what it was like before because it was so idyllic and everyone would get really jealous. But now I get up with my son, I make a bulletproof coffee. We read some books and we do some stretching and some yoga get my other son ready for school. I make lunch, uh, get the kids at the door. Once the kids are at the door, I, I look at my day. Um, like Jack Canfield, I try to plan the night before. Nice. Uh, I think that's a good, a good thing to do. I have my, my calendar is color-coded. In fact, my favorite class to teach in NXIVM was called Time and List. It's all about organizing your time. Oh, can I share one entrepreneurial tip I learned there that I think is important? Please. Make, when you make your to-do list, And this is not from him. I'm sure it's from somebody else. It's probably seven habits of highly successful people or something. But taking the thing that you really don't want to do the most, like that's dreading, like your taxes or whatever, and just put it on the top of your list and get it done. And then the rest of your day is golden.
0: Love it. Perfect. Um, What is your go-to pump-up song?
1: Well, right Right now, I love the song from our podcast, which is called Cultivated by John Bryant, because it's just got such a good hook. But before that, it was, I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters.
0: What is something that you are just not very good at?
1: Also the same as Jack Canfield. I'm terrible at math, spreadsheets, Excel, forms, anything that has like small print and I have to fill out a bunch of things. I don't I don't do that well.
0: <laughs> and as we get everything wrapped up here, Sarah, what's one place online where you want our listeners to go to connect with you the most?
1: Probably get everything at Instagram. So Sarah Edmondson, E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N is... Um, everything's there. I have a website as well, same name. And all my, uh, also there's resources for cult recovery and um, how to find out if you're in a cult on my website.
0: Perfect. So sarahedmondson.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be S-A-R-A-H-E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N, sarahedmondson.com or at Sarah Edmondson over on Instagram. Go over there, connect with their follower, um, check out some of the stuff that her and Nippy are putting out. I promise you will not regret any time that you spend uh, learning from uh, some of the things that they've been able to learn over the last few years. So Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I appreciate you and uh, hope to uh, hang out in person sometime.
1: Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Great questions.
2: That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.